the outpouring of thought and resources and physically and emotionally exhausting week. Uh, I've helped plan these kind of things and help carry them on from a local standpoint. It's just a mind-boggling amount of work. And uh, to see you all work together is really gratifying. It speaks well of you. It speaks well of your leadership. It speaks well of the uh, spiritual influences that uh, help craft you and, and help help to make the work here what it is. And I really commend you for that. And thank you for letting us come and be a part of this. We're going to conclude our studies on the book of Proverbs by talking about how wisdom speaks to the issue of work and prosperity. There's really a great deal in Proverbs about work and prosperity and business ethics. And you could blend it with a few things taught uh, by precept or example in other scriptures and uh, really have a, a multiple sermon series just on how wisdom guides us in, in, our, in our work ethics in life. But this afternoon, we're going to reduce all that to just a singular treatment of how we work. Proverbs 14 and 24 opens it up quite well when he says, The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. The point of this passage is not to say that you, you need wisdom so you can get rich, but the point of it is to create a contrast that we can relate with. We, living in a fleshly world that, that functions on financial terms, we relate to the value that wealth can have in an individual accomplishing their goals in life. And so wisdom joins itself to those kind of values, whereas foolishness just brings more folly and destruction. So there's a sense here that wisdom can be attached with a degree of prosperity. That's explained in different terms in Proverbs 17 and verse 2 when he said, A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. I try to imagine a scenario where here's this father who has this this big family of several sons and a, a big family business. And so maybe it's an agricultural enterprise where they take care of a lot of animals and raise a lot of crops and a lot of different kinds of uh, business endeavors. And it requires all hands on deck, you know. Each of the different sons and each of the different servants have their tasks that they're supposed to fulfill. And kind of like you read about the patriarchs over in the book of Genesis and you know, a dad sends a son out there to check on the animals or to check on the brothers that are tending to the animals and things like that. Imagine, if you would, that kind of enterprise. And here's dad who's got a son who's chosen to be a fool. And he sends a son out there to do the job, and he can't count on the son to get the job done. He does it wrong if he shows up at all. Maybe he squanders resources that were entrusted to him to, that were supposed to take care of a task in the family business and instead he bloated on something. You know, he just can't rely on him. On the other hand, here's this servant. You know, perhaps it's somebody that's a part of a family that's attached to the master family or maybe it's somebody in indentured servitude where they're working towards the paying off of debt but there's somebody that they're there. Maybe it's a hired servant but they're there. He's not one of the brothers. He's not in line for the inheritance in an ordinary scenario, but he's, he's there to, to do the job, and he gets to enjoy part of the living off this business operation. And every time the boss sends him out to do something, all he does is just show up on time every day and go and do the job that was given him to do to the best of his ability and come back home and report. And he does that day after day after day. And days become weeks that become months that become years. 
<coughs> while the loser, foolish son, has proven over and over you can't trust him to get the job done. And this servant, he's just, who, when it's time, dad's getting a little older. You know, he's got to hand off part of the responsibilities to somebody else. Who's he going to hand it to? He's going to hand it to the guy he can rely on. The biological connection there is not what speaks the loudest in that scenario. What speaks the loudest is who's the wisest. Who's the one who in wisdom has proven their fidelity? And that's what this passage is teaching, teaching. So what I just ran through for you is a scenario where somebody who, though they have sort of a low station life, they've come to some level of prosperity. And the reason they got there is not because they're lucky. It's not because they won life's lottery. It's because they made choices about how they conducted themselves with wisdom. And that brought prosperity. And so that sort of captures the idea that we're thinking about in this afternoon study. Proverbs uh, 19 and verse 8 says, He who gets wisdom loves his own soul, and he who keeps understanding will find good. This teaches the principle that wisdom benefits you. Wisdom helps you. And in an introductory context, we're looking at how wisdom helps you in meeting your goals in your work in life. Proverbs 28 and 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Well, our ultimate hope for deliverance is eternal deliverance, right? We, we want deliverance from our sin and its guilt, and we want deliverance from the grave, and we understand that that's what matters the most, okay? But Exxon doesn't accept that for payment when I go to buy gas for my GMC pickup that, that General Motors doesn't accept those things as payment for that pickup that I need to get here and then get back home. And the grocery store doesn't accept my desire for salvation as procurement, uh, a payment for the groceries that I'm obligated to provide that would feed my family. And on and on and on and on. We understand that earthly wealth and earth, you know, material things are limited in their value, but we also understand that God has bound us to certain obligations that require that. A man that won't provide for his own is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, especially those of his own house. Well, a guy has to have material things to provide for the physical people in his family, okay? So... Wealth and prosperity and work and all those things should not dominate our lives, but they have a place in our lives. And on the one hand, we're careful to warn about greed. We're careful to warn about life's treasures being fleeting. And those warnings need to be repeated loud and clear. We need those reminders. But let's not let those reminders bring us to a conclusion that says, well, none of that matters. Because how we flourish in our work environment can be a reflection of the Christian ethics that we bring to that work environment. So maybe that wisdom will deliver us in a physical context now, sort of symbolic of the eternal deliverance that a walk of wisdom will bring. So that brings us around then to the idea of conducting ourselves with diligence. Proverbs 10 and verse 5, he who gathers in summer is a wise son, and he who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Here's the contrast. On the one hand, you've got a son who is wise. On the other hand, you've got a son that the family is embarrassed to talk about. And the one who's wise is the one who out in the summer is out there bearing the heat of the sun, bringing the harvest in. Because what are we going to eat this winter? 
that old expression, come off the farm, you got to make hay while the sun shines. You know, in an agricultural economy before refrigeration, you had to gather up all that food in the, in the summer <coughs> because there was really not much to be gathered in the winter. So that's when you made your living for the whole year. And the guy that's wise saw those winter months coming and realized <coughs> diligence must be the order of the day today if I'm going to have something to eat when, you know, November and February roll around. Think about that sun that causes shame. You know, parents universally want to be able to, to talk honestly about their children in a way that speaks accomplishment. We want to be able to talk about our kids' achievements. We want to be able to talk about our kids' job. We want to be able to talk about what they've accomplished or what they've provided. We want to be able to do those things. The other day I was visiting with a sister in the church who wanted to talk good about her son. And what she had to say was she was so thankful that he had gotten out of jail. That's what she had. There had been a considerable window of time in his life that he was a source of embarrassment. He was the guy that caused shame. He didn't live his life with diligence. And in that lack of diligence, in that lack of being busy and industrious doing things he should have been doing, there was a void. And guess what rushed into that void? Foolish choices that landed him in jail. This stuff matters. You know, it's about more than just, okay, I got to be this wise fellow so I can make a good living for my family. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond the spiritual signals you send out and the way you conduct yourself in that work arena. Proverbs 30, verse 24 through 28 says, There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they advance in ranks. The spiders skillfully grasp with his hands, <coughs> and it is in king's palaces. In, in this rapid-fire sequence of kind of emblems, he's talking about things in nature that in, on the one hand, they're sort of lowly esteemed, but then on the other hand, there's something great that they achieve. And what stands between their comparative lowliness and their high achievements? In every one of them, it's diligence. You know, you can say what you want about those ants, but they're out there working hard. Little red ants that are common in this area, and they were common in the area of southern Oklahoma where I grew up. It used to just amaze me to catch a grasshopper and lay him on that ant bed and watch them go to work. Now, that may sound morbid to you, but that was amazing to me to watch those ants grab that giant grasshopper and drag him down the hole. There was teamwork. There was vigor. They're all, they're the Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, of the ant world. I mean, they're all lifting multiple times their own weight, okay? There was diligence. Well, the Lord is telling us here, hey, guys, look at that. Diligence, teamwork, all that, those are things we can exercise in the carrying out of our work ethic. Making their homes, that badger achieves that. The, the advancing in ranks, in ranks, grasshoppers are busy fellas, okay? They work hard and they work fast. It takes a fast guinea to catch a grasshopper. And they can do it, but it takes such an exercise of energy that it's really funny to watch. 
And so you think about watching, I don't, maybe y'all never watched a bunch of guineas chase grasshoppers. If you've never seen that, find somebody that owns guineas and go watch that. And you're watching two kinds of animals here that are working very hard. And in that grasshopper that's advancing in ranks, the Lord's saying, hey, look at that. Look at them functioning as a team. Watch it. I noticed several years ago there was a, a bad plague of grasshoppers, kind of in this area, but especially north of the river. I know they were bad. And, I mean, they were eating people's trees. They were eating the paint off the houses. It was a really, really bad year. And it went out a certain time of the evening, and every one of those corn-fed rascals was facing the same way. I thought, what in the world? Watch that. They advance in ranks. They work together. They know how to cooperate with each other. These are things that the Lord is asking us to see in the expression of diligence. The lowly spider... So many of them, they just get stomped on just because they were there. And somebody was afraid, so they get mashed. But what house can keep itself completely free of spiders? I, I know you can hire the exterminator, and they can do a great job of putting out spray. And a month later, you'll see a spider that's found its way in somehow. They're just amazing. And they'll come in your house. They'll come in a very lowly house but they also make their way into the king's palace. How do they do that? By just working hard and doing what they do. You see what he's telling us about diligence here? See this associated with prosperity. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. See the contrast? What made the difference between who was in charge and who was under someone's charge? Diligence. Willingness to work hard with these ethics that bring prosperity. Proverbs 13 and verse 4. The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. It's interesting how Proverbs couples laziness with unsatisfied greed. And this passage is one of those examples. Here's a person who's consumed with wanting things, but they don't have anything. What does the diligent do? They just gain more and gain more by virtue of their diligence. Proverbs 14 and verse 23, in all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. There are those that stand around and talk about the work they plan to do, and there are those that are already out there working. You hear the work ethic taught in these passages? Now, let's sustain some focus here. Is the goal of all this diligence so that you can prosper as much as a person can prosper in whatever field you're in? Is the goal of the diligence prosperity or is the goal of the diligence to reflect God's wisdom and be a godly example and the prosperity is just a fruit that comes from that? That might sound like a subtle difference, but it looks to me like that's a difference that matters. I don't want to be prosperous for prosperity's sake. I want to be diligent for diligence's sake because that's the wise thing to do. That's the right thing to do. And the blessing that comes from that is I can gain an advantage over here in the struggle to provide for my family. I can gain in some prosperity. That's maybe a way to think about that that helps keep a spiritual focus on what we're doing. There are attitudes here that go along with this diligence, and that is just a willingness to do it. Proverbs 27, verse 23 through 27. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. 
For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide for your clothing and the goat the price of the field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food and for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. So on the tail end of this passage, he talks about the different benefits that these animals will bring. The milk, the clothing, the, the, the cash flow to pay for the use of the field and all those kind of things. And where does it start? Be diligent to know the state of your flock. In a shepherding society that where raising animals was a very common industry, he spoke this to relate. Well, there's not that many of us that do that for a living in 21st century United States. There are some, but there are not that many. So if you're a mechanic, that opening phrase is, take care of your tools. Keep your work bay clean. I'm trying to relate this in a way that you can kind of connect with. All right, you take your job and you plug that in and understand this. Take care of the things that make your living and be diligent in that. And that is an attitude. That is a mindset. That mechanic over there that's taking care of his tools and keeping them in neat order and careful how he uses them and all like that, he's got a mindset that makes him go back without always even directly thinking about it to tend to that stuff, okay? That person that's raising animals that goes the extra mile to just do that extra bit of checking to make sure that, you know, the cows are have what they need or whatever it is he's checking on. That person that makes one more trip to the hen house to make sure there's not a chicken snake in there. You pick, pick your industry, okay? There's an attitude there. There's a mindset. There's a willingness to, to, you know, to get out of my comfortable chair and go do this thing. Is it because of some immediate reward that's going to fall in front of me right here, right now? No. It's because I'm trying to practice a wise discipline that will tend towards greater prosperity. And I'm doing that with the thought of showing the Spirit of Christ in the things that I do. We prioritize our work. Proverbs 24, 27, prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. We've talked about this passage already this week. It advocates making priorities in the things that you do. And you have a diligent mindset. You've got this attitude that says on, on your job priority list, you don't start with the easy stuff just because you want to burn the clock and get to punch out that day, spending all your time doing the easy stuff, but you prioritize your work in, what, in accordance with what's important and what needs to be done. Okay, so there's this idea of attitude that goes along with the diligence. There's this attitude of appreciating your earnings. Proverbs 12 and verse 27, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. So the guy that's lazy, if he happens to gain something, he doesn't appreciate it as much because he didn't have to work hard to get it. Do you know anybody that has stuff that they didn't have to work to get and they don't appreciate it? I think we all know somebody like that, maybe several somebodies like that. If you want to appreciate what you have more, then work for it. You think about children grow up uh, up in these homes that receive, you know, whatever, and you see some homes that they weave in responsibility to the child's upbringing. 
certain duties and obligations they have to take care of day by day. And, you know, the giving of those chores and the giving of those assignments relates to the things that those children receive. And they don't get those gifts and those benefits and those advantages if they don't fulfill their responsibilities. And those are kids that tend to appreciate what they have. You know, the kid that had to help work to make the down payment on their vehicle or whatever mom and dad arranged to get them invested in acquiring that vehicle, they take better care of that vehicle than the one who got a brand new sports car and didn't have to break a sweat to get it. We all know a story like that. It often winds up in the salvage yard crashed. We've seen it happen. Because you appreciate what you have to work for. So you develop the attitude that says, I'm going to have what I work for. You see, I'm going to work for what I get. Ecclesiastes 5 and 12 says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he has little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. This goes back to that discussion we had the other day about it's not how much you have, but the manner in which you have those things. And that's what this boils down to, is you work for what you've got, and you've got that attitude of having that ethic, that that's how things need to be obtained. And that helps you to appreciate the prosperity that you have. So you don't have to be the wealthy guy to be glad for what you've got and be thankful for what you've got. You need to be the guy that had to work to get it. That's the guy who really enjoys it. Think of our need to have a sense of accomplishment. Proverbs 13 and verse 19. A desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. On the one hand, you've got this fool that they can't stand to stop doing dumb things. That's a terrible thing in their minds. On the other hand, you've got this person who's learned to enjoy achieving goals. God made us to need to have goals and need to achieve those goals. If you want to get mine and Tanya's daughters to griping about the way their dad was growing up, just get them to talk about what happened if they ever said, I'm bored. A lot of you parents know the drill. Oh, you're bored. Well, let me fix that. And the first thing I would do was give them a task to do so that at the completion of that task, they would feel a sense of achievement. And that cured the boredom. There are a lot of people that are bored because they have too much and they didn't have to work to get it. There are a lot of people that are bored and they're doing a lot of bad things with their time and their boredom because they're being handed a living on a silver platter and they don't have to earn any, do anything to earn it. And I'll tell you, that's abusing those people. It's cruel to do that to someone because of what this passage reveals to us about human nature. As a society, we do things like that, thinking we're doing it in the name of compassion, but it's uncommon brutality to put somebody in a position where they never know the joy of having to set goals and work to achieve those goals. The one that's happy is the one who has achievement wired to their daily function. Talk to these people who've retired or who are planning to. The ones that do it happily are the ones who keep activities in their lives where they have goals and they achieve these goals. So that sense of accomplishment is another one of those things that goes hand in hand with what the Bible teaches about our work ethic in Proverbs. Think about laziness. Proverbs 26, verse 14 and 15. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl 
it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. Boy, don't you love that picture. The most vivid picture I've ever heard painted off this passage is one Michael gave several years ago. I heard him imagine that as this bowl of oatmeal. And the guy's hand just splats down in this bowl of oatmeal. And it's literally a chore. It's like pulling a hen's teeth to try to just lift that back up and eat. But what a vivid picture of the ugliness of sloth. No ambition. I just don't care. I mean, some people are literally that lazy. And that's a miserable person. The person who's happy is the person who's learned to respect the value of work and achievement and has cultivated these attitudes that we've talked about. That door turning upon the hinges. Well, I just get this auditory thing in my mind of just imagine this creaking and then thud. And then it's creaking loud and then thud. And back and forth we waller. Hey, if y'all get a chance to sleep late tomorrow after this past week, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's not a good thing. You might need that rest. But you may not have that chance. But understand the value of having the ethic that's not going to live and act that way. Laziness tends to be coupled with wastefulness. In Proverbs 18 and 9, he said, He is who is slothful in his work as a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Well, there were, used to be kids that would regularly visit the place where we grew up, and I won't get into why. They just regularly visited out there. And my brother and I had responsibilities that we would go and we would build and we would do things. And then every time these guys came out, they would go and they would destroy them. And then when it was time to go pick peas, all of a sudden we all miraculously had a bellyache. It's amazing how fast that can set on. And as soon as the vegetables were harvested, miracles from heaven will cure you of that bellyache instantaneously when it's time to go back tearing stuff up. Okay. This passage associates laziness with destroying and being wasteful. Why? Because you don't appreciate it. You don't appreciate what it took to make that. Ecclesiastes 10 and 18, because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hand, the house leaks. Things around us fall apart. You see how that sinks from prosperity into poverty? <laughs> a good house becomes a shack because of laziness. Look at what he said about laziness and excuses in Proverbs 20 and verse 4. The man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Some people it doesn't take much excuse at all to not go in and work. And the Bible warns us of that attitude. Proverbs 22:13 puts it, I suppose, rather humorously when he said the lazy man says, There's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. Bless my soul, I cannot leave this house and go work because though everyone else is somehow surviving, the moment I step out the door, a lion's going to come and maul me. That's the picture I see painted in this passage. It's, it sounds like a humorous sort of a jab at that guy who's let himself buy any excuse he can come up with to not do his duty, to not fulfill his obligation. See the association between laziness and greed explained in Proverbs 21, verse 25 and 26. He said, the desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. 
Look at the contrast. You've got this one person who's lazy and they're, they're covetous and they covet greedily constantly. And on the other hand, you have this righteous person who is implicitly industrious and diligent. And instead of desiring to have, what do they do? They give. You see generous people? Generosity is born out of diligence and hard work. Not just the opportunity to be generous, but the heart to be generous can be born out of diligence and hard work. When that diligence and hard work is done with a view to honoring God, sooner or later you look at the prosperity that diligence brings, whatever degree of prosperity that might be for you, and you look at these things and you say, what's the use in having them if I can't share them? And in the appreciation of those things, you share joyfully with others and are glad for whatever assistance that might bring them. That's the heart, you see, that's coupled with the diligent as opposed to how laziness kills that kind of godly attitude. Laziness and poverty, Proverbs 19 and 15. Laziness costs a cast one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. I know not every hungry belly is hungry because of laziness. I know that. Proverbs deals with poverty that's self-inflicted. And there's a lot more self-inflicted poverty in the world than politicians want to admit. So forget what politicians say and hear what God says. There's some poverty that's circumstantial, you know, because of the place where they're living or disasters that have happened or whatever. But Proverbs concerns itself with poverty I can do something about. I can't do something about the weather. I can't do something about a brutal regime that's brutalizing these people and won't let them work and have. I can't fix all of that, but I can fix my choices. Okay? And so Proverbs teaches about things where we can do something about it. Look at what he said in Proverbs 20 and verse 13. Do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. It's not just that you have the bread because you overcome laziness, but it satisfies you. Proverbs 23 and 21 says, A drunkard and a glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness, that's laziness, will clothe the man with rags. Laziness brings poverty. A passage we've read already this week that I want to give a glancing blow just now. Proverbs 24, verse 30 through 34. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding, and there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. This portrays a physical and financial disaster. This person didn't look well to the ways of their flock. They didn't have that diligent attitude about taking care of what makes you a living. They let things fall into disrepair because of laziness. And so in terms of financial responsibility and work obligations, they become a disgrace. I want to ask you to think about this in a spiritual light. We're bringing our study to a close. So I want to ask you to think about this field up here. It's, it's not a place out there where you're growing barley. What if that's the church? What if that's your life? Your spiritual needs in life? What if those things fall into neglect and disrepair 
because you won't get up and, and make a decision for the glory of God and do something about it. Think about that. We've talked some about the hard work this congregation has done this week. There are people that have built diligent habits in their work life that have carried over into the church life. And all you had to do was come here this week and see it happen. And several young people profited and benefited from your diligence. That's the inverted picture of what this passage talks about. There's spiritual prosperity. There's spiritual thriving. There's spiritual flourishing. Because spiritual goals are being set and spiritual goals are being met. And so people, as this congregation works together in those things, achieve a sense of gratification by meeting these goals. There's joy now. Now you can fall back into the comfort of a well-earned rest, however long that lasts for you. You can fall back into the comfort of a well-earned rest because of the wisdom of diligence and the things that have gone hand in hand with that. And I hope you'll think about that as we turn the perspective of this afternoon's study into its spiritual values expressed in the work of the church. And I hope as you think about your life, if you're in your life the Lord sees spiritual destitution like the physical that's described in this passage, if he sees the broken down fences and all like that in your life spiritually, I hope you'll make the choice to not be lazy but get up and do something about it and make a choice now. And if that choice is to obey the gospel, we'd love to assist you in that. Or if as a Christian you need the church to pray for you, we stand ready to help you in that way. If we can help you in either way, please come while we stand and sing.